0: Today we finish looking at abiding practices in John 15. We've been taking a a small tour of spiritual disciplines as we often talk about them. We've talked about them as abiding practices using this imagery in John 15 and we went here to apply Romans 6 through 8. If you're just joining us, we've been in Romans most of this year taking it in sections and at the end of each section we go somewhere else in Scripture and seek to apply the section we were just in. This last abiding practice that we're considering today, serving. If you think of a growing vineyard, think of the vine and the branches, this, this dominant imagery that's used here in John 15. Uh, you think of it um, as healthy growing branches and the vine. What, what's happening as they're growing? They're, they're lengthening, they're thickening, they're lengthening and thickening some more as they grow and what happens in all that lengthening and thickening is that the the reach of the vine extends the the vineyard grows out. I want to plant that image in our minds uh, connected to serving as an abiding practice. There's a lot of ways we can talk about serving uh, all kinds of ways really serving is is pretty broad as a topic but we're looking at abiding practices being Cultiv- the practices we engage for cultivating obedience from the heart. That's Really, this series has been about trying to put into application what Paul talks about in Romans 6.17, that, that obedience from the heart, the obedience of love. When we talked about prayer the last couple of weeks, uh, abiding practice of prayer is wanting God for God, not just the things that, that he gives to us. We talk about serving. Of all the things we can say about it, The image I want to give to us this morning is that we're really talking about extending the reach of the vine. We've got this vine branch imagery in John 15 and when we serve he is the vine we are the branches when we serve through us the vine extends his branches out. You know good works is synonym biblical synonym for serving uh, many of us know Ephesians 2.10 by heart. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And even that walking image in Ephesians 2 is a sense of abiding in that as you're, you're walking. that's a That's an occupation. This is what serving is. It's something God created us to do. It's something he recreates us in Christ to do after the Lord Jesus himself. And, and the Lord Jesus does this through us, extending himself out as we serve. And again, serving, it goes wide and deep. It's, it's acts of mercy. It's hospitality. It's giving. It's educating. It's training. It's bringing relief to pain. It's, it's, uh, it's placing order where there's chaos it's building, it's restoring, it's feeding, it's sheltering. Every kind of hope-giving effort possible in Jesus' name comes under the umbrella of serving. So we are purposely talking about something that, that is wide and varied in its expression. It's our usefulness to God. And that's the point of the imagery, as we talked about it. The last five weeks we've been in this passage, John 15, and we've been talking about the point being Usefulness, the usefulness of the disciple to the Lord Jesus. And when we do these kinds of things, ministries of mercy, hospitality, (coughs) befriending people in Jesus' name, we signal the coming of the kingdom of God in fullness where there will be no more need, there will be no more want, no more waste. In serving, we keep an eye on what we're doing, (coughs) excuse me, in front of us. But we also keep an eye on what's coming, that he's going to make all things new. But for now, every act of service, whether it's a a one-off kind of act, you sign up for something, you show up, you do something, and that's the end of it, or whether it's a sustained kind of self-giving, the purpose is to extend the reach of the vine. That's the picture I want us to have of serving. Now, we tend to equate um, serving with volunteering. And because volunteering is often our choice, our time, this comes up, the church says, we're going to go do this, I'll go do that with them, I can't do that uh, with them over here, etc., and so on. But because we tend to equate serving with volunteering, we assume that our serving, when we're ready to do it, when we're ready to give and go, we assume it 's always good and helpful who wouldn 't want our help who wouldn 't want our good works who wouldn 't want us to serve them and yet there is such a thing as toxic service where you create cycles of dependency or, or you exercise some kind of superiority i 'm here i 'm here to you know, to, to bless you without me, without my resources you wouldn 't have a hope or a prayer there 's such a thing as busy work where I do something that needs to be done and it's appreciated that I'm doing it, but, but I'm actually avoiding people as I'm serving them. That's, that's a possibility that, that I avoid being known by the people that I'm, that I'm serving. I, I just want to be an instrument. There's really nothing incarnational about the service. There's such a thing as token service. There's such a thing as manipulating people into service, guilting them into service. It's a good place to mention uh, we have an elective coming up in January that we've offered before here in our church called Seeking Shalom. And that particular elective is aimed at, it's designed to avoid all of those things that I just mentioned. Toxic service, where our service is actually um, maybe um, not wanted or welcomed, though we think it should be and avoiding people in service and and busy work and and manipulating and guilting people into service. That elective coming in January through February, six weeks, is is really aimed at how to serve in ways that avoid those traps of service. In fact, I like how one author says, if or when serving becomes any of that that I've just mentioned, we should stop getting our help and goodness all over everybody. I love that way of putting it. But all that notwithstanding, serving is our usefulness extended out. And that's the point of the metaphor, the the word imagery here in John 15. In other words, when we serve, we do want people to see in us the effect of the gospel believed. And the effect of the gospel believed is that it motivates us to be self-giving. Not just self-giving, but self-giving in the interests of the one who gave for us. The Lord Jesus Himself. We want His will and way to be valued. I mean it's, it's, it's you don't have to be a Christian to do good works. We all know that. But the 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 saving faith that 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 comes to us in the, the gospel through our belief in, in what Jesus has revealed of Himself, who He is and, and what He wants from us, that it's like John Calvin once put it that 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 we're justified by faith alone, but the, the faith that justifies is never alone. Anybody can do good works. When Christians engage in good works, it it has a flavor to it. It has a a shape and a form to it. We're interested in Jesus' way and will being valued by the ones that we serve. Whether that happens or not, we may not be able to control. Usually we can't, but that's what we want. That's what we're interested in. We want the vine to reach, and he does so. He extends himself to others. Through our good works, through the fruits of the branches. And again, that's who we are. Looking at the text, verses 13 through 15 that Brian read for us earlier, notice verse 14. Notice how Jesus calls his servants his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants. The servant doesn't know what the master's doing, but I've called you Friends. For all I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. We're talking about serving as an abiding practice. And abiding practices, again, are, are, are things we engage to help us cultivate obedience from the heart. As Paul put it in, in Romans 6, the obedience of love, as we've talked about it for a few weeks now. And serving is a, is a particular kind of self giving to another in the interest of Jesus' way and will being valued the self-giving of love, meaning the, the work that I engage for someone else through their needs being known to me and I can do something about their needs. Uh, I'm, I'm in loving them. I'm, I'm wanting the same goods I experience with God to be experienced by them. Looking at this passage, notice how Jesus served us and turned it outward. Verse 13 again. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And then he says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. And then he says, I call you friends because all that I've heard from the Father I've made known to you. Jesus served us by turning us to himself through self-giving on our behalf. That's verse 13. And by so doing... What verses 14 and 15 are getting at is that he's turned us away from preoccupation with ourselves. The one who is doing what he commands is less and less and less preoccupied with himself or herself. Central to every command. He says in verse 14, if you do what I command. What is central to every command of Jesus? Love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. We know this, we hear it often, but in practice, as an abiding practice, serving when we give ourselves to it, it's designed to make us less preoccupied with ourselves. And I wanna stress this because what we get in verse 13 <coughs> is the ultimate expression of self-giving. Greater love has no man than this, he laid down his life for his friends. We read that and we think, well, that's intimidating, that's overwhelming. If I ever faced that myself, I mean, lay down my life, even for my friends, that's a a huge thing to contemplate, and most of us never do. But becoming less preoccupied with ourselves, that's not as intimidating, that's not as overwhelming. In fact, becoming less preoccupied with ourselves is something a lot of us welcome. But most of us never face laying down our life. To us, this is not so high for Jesus because he he did that and we know that he did. But for us, it does seem kind of a really high thing. And So we look at verse 13 and we say, is is this the service he's looking for from us? Is this what he wants us to to lay down our lives for someone? Or or when you look at verses 14 and 15, you you say, well, well, I, I see service that demonstrates I'm becoming less preoccupied with myself, maybe, maybe only that's what he wants. I was reading a, a book where the author makes the case, he puts it this way, he says, the beauty and the tragedy, so you've got this, this uh, paradox, the beauty and the tragedy of the modern world is that it eliminates, the way we live today in western cultures is we've eliminated most situations that would require us to demonstrate self-sacrificial commitment to the greater good. In other words, he's saying most of us live our entire lives never needing to risk ourselves for anything. And he says the beauty in this is, is there's far more, it means there's far more safety. Safety mechanisms, safety protocols. Uh, there more, more of that is in place today than there was a century ago. And that's good. We live longer, better, safer. And so most of us won't face actually laying down our life for anyone for, for any reason. And we only really hear about this kind of thing in, in the church when we're in passages like this one. Or, or uh, we hear about martyrs. Or, or, or in the military, we hear about laying down our lives. He says the beauty of the world, modern world, is that, is that we don't face this. But this is simultaneously the tragedy. Because he says what happens when we never face the possibility of ultimate self-giving, we become more preoccupied with ourselves. And he says for generations when, when life was more difficult and people faced the reality that they might, they might have to give themselves up for those they were loving and providing for, he says uh, they made them less preoccupied with themselves. You know, just thinking this out a little bit, uh, you know, we're all familiar with thanking military personnel for their service. I do this, you do this. You see a soldier out somewhere and you, and you thank him for his service. Maybe even buy his, uh, his lunch for him in a restaurant. I've done this, you've done this. That we feel almost compelled to do that. It's become a, it's, it's become a, ref, a reflexive thing for, for a lot of us. Or, or we stand at the game. You know, there's always that moment in the game now where you applaud the service member standing in the end zone or court side and they're being recognized for their service and, and it's a chance for us all to stand up and say, thank you, thank you for what you're, you're doing. Or, or military personnel board a plane before uh, the rest of us and, and nobody complains uh, about that. All this is good. And yet, those ways of saying thank you actually highlight this gap this recognized, in some cases, a chasm between servicemen and women on one side and the rest of us, that they're the ones who are risking being in harm's way. We think, well, that's, that's for them. They've put themselves in that position. It's not for us. Or we put this in a missions context. It doesn't happen often anymore in the modern world, but we've all been reminded that ultimate self-giving can be the experience of missions. We've been reminded just this week. That young man killed trying to reach the tribe on a remote island off of India, John Chow, his name. Ultimate self-giving. John Chow trained and prepared himself to take the gospel to an unreached people group and was killed by them as he tried to make contact for the very first time. Extending the reach of the vine to those people to whom no one had, had ever gone, he was the first. It cost him his life. Most of us won't ever even sniff that in, in our serving. Our, servant, our, our serving just doesn't require harm's way of us in any real shape, form, or fashion. And I don't say that at all to shame us. This is, there's, there's no shame here. It's just it's stating a matter of fact. I say all this rather to take us to here, to this point, this takeaway that serving as an abiding practice does mean that we get less preoccupied with ourselves. What I do for another that makes me less preoccupied with myself, what would that be for you? What is that for me? Are there acts of service you render that makes you less preoccupied with yourself? And you know it. You give time to that person, to that opportunity. And, you, and, that, and there's times that time pinches on what you would, you would otherwise do. What do I do for another that makes me less preoccupied with myself? The, the pruning that we've seen in this passage where Jesus talks about how he prunes us, that we'd be more fruitful. When Jesus prunes us, what he prunes off often are those things that make us more preoccupied with ourselves. And keep in mind as we think about self-giving. When we look at Jesus' biography in the Gospels, how he served, he did not serve tirelessly. There were times serving wore him out. There were times he rested from serving and stopped serving. Uh, There were times that he bypassed people who needed him. There were many in this crowd who needed the touch of Jesus and only a few received it. There were times that serving absolutely frustrated him. More than once, the Gospels record Jesus sighing deeply as the, just the sheer weight and volume of human need always pressing around him. Now, the, the last thing you need is a guilt trip from a preacher about more service. In Jesus, we get actually more, I, I want to say we get more of a, a serving compass than a serving pattern. Because a compass is about, is about finding a direction. And the direction that Jesus is going is a self-giving direction, but it's the self-giving of love. It's self-giving from love. It's interested in greater goods. More specifically, the direction Jesus goes, we see it in this passage, is befriending through self-giving. Look at it. Jesus casts serving in a relational mold here, doesn't he? You are my friends, if you do what I command you. You are my friends, no longer my servants, because I've made known to you all that the Father has made known to me. He casts serving in a relational mold. He puts it in terms of the generosity of friendship. The generosity of friendship means a number of things, but in a serving context, if you're talking about your friend... Your friend is someone you don't hold their needs against. You don't hold their needs over them or against them. What might happen if we were to see everyone we serve, and everyone we serve is a big blanket statement, but just thinking about the context that you are in, what you're drawn to, what you're gifted for, what you're interested in, what you're burdened about. What would happen if we saw everyone we serve as a potential friend, And the thing about friends, as you make them, is you you don't hold friends' needs over them or against them, that they have needs. We won't serve people whose needs we hold against them. We will begrudge those people. If you hold their needs against them, you will begrudge them, and you will treat them as the other. You won't befriend them. Someone struck me with uh, the analogy... (laughs) This came from a local pastor, uh, I don't think many would, would know him uh, in the room, but uh, he said that when you consider the needs in a city, uh, the city of Memphis, this city in particular, areas of chronic distress that we, that we know too, too well here, someone compared it, to helping meet those needs is like washing birds after an oil spill. This was the picture. You've got millions of, of gallons of oil and they're, and they're washing ashore for, for weeks at a time. It's the, it's the onslaught of sludge and it's an environmental disaster. And you've got uh, wildlife rescuers. And you, the, the camera will show you a beach scene and you'll see this folks out here and they've got this one little gull, you know, and they're painstakingly trying to get the, the oil off the feathers. So they got the otter, you know. And they're washing the otter in in, in detergent, you know, and, and trying to, to to get his coat back to him. Now that that analogy can easily go toxic, and it becomes superior if we cast ourselves in the heroic role as the saviors of the city. That we go to distressed parts of our of our city to to serve, and and we're there to you know get the oil uh, off folks, as it as it were. That that that's when we get our help and goodness all over people. And, and we don't need to do that. When we make them our projects rather than our friends and they, they implicitly get the difference. You know, you'll spend your surplus on a project, but you'll spend yourself on a friend. That's, that's the difference. You'll give yourself to a friend. Memphis needs can feel like the gash in the gulf. Remember that some years back? The BP accident. We watched, you remember they got the camera finally down to where the gash was and you'd go past it in a restaurant and it's still going, you know, just gushing out. This crack in the earth and just billions of gallons of oil dumping into the Gulf. I'm using the analogy of the oil spill cleanup to caution us about holding other people's needs over and against them. It's easy for us with plenty to do that serving and befriending people through service people in places of distress the needs there aren't neat we come back from those places and people remark about wow I couldn't believe this and that believe it and it happens in the suburbs too we just cloak it better in the suburbs we have better houses to hide it behind And and it's easy to hold people's dysfunctions over them and and see them as the sum total of their bad decisions or their or or, or some kind of rotten environment. But the the rescuers, when they go to the beach, they're looking at the creature under the oil. And those who serve as an abiding practice, abiding practices are for, for tuning us again to the to the heart of Jesus so that we obey him from the heart, out of out of love. It's the only motivation that'll really sustain us long term. If we see the people we serve as potential friends, not just the recipients of our beneficence and our largesse, then the vine reaches, it grows, it, 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 it bears the fruit that it's supposed to bear. Listen, this vine can grow through concrete when the branches are abiding. In Christ, we extend his friendship to people when we serve them. It's really a simple idea behind this message. Because friendship, when you think about what friendship is, when you make a friend, you take that person as you find them, not as you would make them. Friendship is about taking people as we find them, not as we would make them. We talked a few weeks ago how Jesus befriends us when he makes us his disciple. Remember what he does even for the unfruitful friend, verse 2? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And the sense of that is he lifts up, he he trellises. What is that? It's the cultivation of a gracious friend. To take the unfruitful person and help him or her realize what we have in, in friendship with the Lord. The unfruitful person, Jesus serves in just the way he meets them. Cultivates them in his grace from there. Can the cultivation be severe? At times it can. Pruning can hurt. I think we've said that. But a gracious person makes a great friend because he takes you as he finds you. And then he makes you better with all the better qualities of himself. If Jesus held our sins over and against us, we wouldn't have a chance. But that's not how he serves. The way of Jesus is generous on just this very point that he doesn't hold our sins against us. He takes us as he finds us, and he finds us as his enemies. And he turns us from from there, not just into his disciples, not just into his servants, but his friends, fruitful friends who then go and spread the friendship of Jesus around promiscuously. John Calvin, I think, was the one who used that word about how we serve promiscuously. It's a great image. We think of serving as serving around, if you will. The friend of Jesus serves around, spreads friendship with Christ promiscuously, meaning we take people as we find them, and we serve them without holding their sins over them, without holding their needs against them. I'm not saying there isn't wisdom and discernment to apply here and where and how much and who gets deployed where and understanding limits and and learning what might seem helpful to us isn't always helpful to those we serve and we have resources here for that. I mentioned the elective coming. What I'm saying to you is that even with all those boxes checked, we learn how to do this well. We take advantage of the equipping the church offers and we go and, and meet these service opportunities all around us, even when all the boxes are checked, what we are essentially doing when we are serving is we're demonstrating the power of the gospel that has broken our preoccupation with ourselves and makes room for others. And what we're learning in friendship with Jesus, aren't we learning in friendship with Jesus that the goal of life is not about being self-made, but about being self-giving. This is the reach of the vine, this is what we're spreading around when we serve people in Jesus' name. Jesus once said that He was among us as one who serves and to be served by Him is to be welcomed into fellowship with Him, it's to to be befriended and that brings us to table fellowship in this place. Two chapters before where we have been for six weeks in John 15. Two chapters before, John 13. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. You know the scene. It's the place where they're going to have their last table fellowship together. And this is nothing they expect or want him to do. To get down on on his hands and knees and wash their dirty feet. It's nothing that they wanted. It's awkward for them. But Jesus de it, if you will, to communicate something very vividly to them. Here's what John says about it. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them his love to the end. And the And the the first act in that unfolding drama at the end was he washes their feet. That's how he says to them, you're my friends, and I love you, through washing their feet. And then we get over to John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. He moved from foot washing to being washed in the blood, as we talk about. The, 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 the next act in the drama. And the scriptures go on to say that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, which is a, a both and act of service. The Lord's death serves us for, for life. The Lord's death is to redeem us. And his return is to renew us because he says he's going to make all things new. And so everything that is presently longing for him in this world, the groaning we talked about earlier in Romans 8. When we look at the work of Jesus, our whole person, not just parts of ourselves, but us wholesale get brought in on what God is doing in Christ. His ultimate act of self-giving service is what secures our place at His table, not just as disciples and not just as servants, but as friends. He befriended us in forgiving us. And He makes us clean, all of us, in serving us. He made us His branches off His vine. And as the branches lengthen and thicken and lengthen and thicken. They show a vibrant connectivity to Him. When we come together and we take communion, we're proclaiming His death and the cleansing power of that, that all that is against us before God is forgiven. We're not just acknowledging that, we're ingesting that. We're eating and drinking. It's a little wafer It's gluten-free to boot, so it's kind of spongy. And it's a little swig of juice. But even that is to give us a foretaste, a foretaste. What did we say in the bulletin? I'll have to grab it up here. You got one? What did we say in the last song we sang? Come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death, the God of life. But no grave could e'er restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope, Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we can together reenact that final night when this teaching we've been in for the last six weeks was presented. Thank you for making us your branches. Thank you for appointing us to go and bear fruit and thank you that the most effective way of service is to befriend. Lord, we don't find this easy. It wasn't easy for you. It isn't easy for us, but it was more so difficult for you because of what you would ultimately do for us in such a way that no one can repay you. And we thank you that it's that way because that keeps us Drilled into grace, and that our standing with you is all of grace. It's not because we had a better upbringing or because we were wiser than others and we could recognize when the person shared the gospel with us that's a good deal, I need that. We were all lost, we were all without hope, whether we grew up in a Christian home or not. Lord, you have encountered us in grace through the gospel. We thank you for Christian homes that have raised us and we thank you for the ways you have formed us and the ways you deploy us in the world. But as we do that, Lord, give us the picture of the vine extending and reaching out and that we can have a hand in that. And that you do all things through us, around us, over us, even apart from us, you do all things for your glory. And we're thankful that it's that way. Thank you for the last meal that you had with your disciples and what you conveyed to them in washing their feet. You showed them your love for them and that they were your friends and then you told them they were your friends and you showed them the greatest love which we have received as well as them that you laid down your life for your friends. Thank you for bringing us into that kind of relationship with you where our needs are never held over us, our needs for forgiveness. They're never held against us. Thank you for that. We thank you for this time to worship you this way through these elements. In Christ's name, amen.